Good morning and happy New Year's Eve. My name is Will Busher and I am the middle school director here at Rio. I'm excited to be up here to open up the book of Exodus, but if I'm honest, I'm excited to be up here because you guys are adults. <laughs> and I love middle schoolers, don't get me wrong, but sometimes they do things where you go, why would you do that? Take, for instance, some things that happen regularly on a Wednesday night that I'm 100% certain will not happen here this morning. At no point during my message do I expect to look up and all of you simultaneously take your styrofoam cups and tear them into a thousand pieces and throw them on the ground. At no point in my message do I expect to look up and see any of you Snapchatting your way through this. And lastly, at no point do I expect to see any one of you reach into your bag pull out a novel, crack it open just to pass the time. <laughs> so all that to say, this should be a wonderful time and you should really come volunteer at Middle School Impact. <laughs> if you've been with us at all this December, you know we have started a new series on the book of Exodus, a series that we are subtitling from bondage to freedom. Over the next few months, we will open up the book of Exodus and see the story about a God who takes his people, the Hebrews, out of the enslavement they are in in Egypt and leads them to freedom. And this morning, we open up to an amazing story in the book of Exodus 3. I'm not just saying that to get you falsely excited. But in Exodus 3, we have God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains the universe, the one who knows all things, sees all things, and controls all things, come down and reveal who he is to Moses. And throughout this chapter, we will see time and time again who God is. And our story starts in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. This is important. This background information is highly important to the story. Because the last time we saw Moses, he murdered an Egyptian. He fled for his life to the wilderness of Midian. He saved some women of the well. He met his father-in-law Jethro. He got married. He had a son. And this is important because God chooses to come to this Moses. He chooses this Moses at this time, at this place, purposefully. Moses is now 80 years old, and he's tending to his father-in-law's flock, and there's no shame in anyone working for their father-in-law. <laughs> he's married, he has a son, and for all intents and purposes, he probably believes this is how he will finish his life. He's long since forgotten his dream of delivering the people. He's long since forgotten that one incident that used to keep him up at night. That old Moses is gone. So I asked myself, why did God choose this Moses? Because if I was choosing Moses at one age of his life, I would not have chosen 80-year-old Moses. I would have chosen 40-year-old Moses for sure. He was young. He was fit. He had royal status in Pharaoh's household. He was a general for Pharaoh's army. He was excited. He had a passion. He even tried to deliver his people once already. But God chooses this Moses. He chooses 80-year-old Moses, older Moses, wiser Moses. But most importantly, God chooses a Moses whose heart has been cultivated to be used by him. Moses, during this job in the wilderness, spent a lot of time alone. He spent a lot of time not working for praise. There was no flair in being a shepherd back then. God created in him a humble heart, a heart that can be used by him, a heart that is dependent on him. 
And this is how God's economy works. He doesn't always choose the brightest. He doesn't always choose the most talented. He doesn't always choose human's choice for who he's going to use. So the first thing that God reveals to us in this story is that God is a God who reveals himself to the humble. And the story continues in verse 1, And he, being Moses, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And this is the part of the story where can I really get a picture of what's going on. I imagine this story taking place at night. I have no real backing for that, but that's how I see it best. I imagine Moses doing the routine he does night and night for 40 years of his life. I imagine him finding a nice piece of pasture for his flock to settle in. I imagine him setting up little defenses to keep predators out and to keep his sheep in. I imagine Moses noticing this bush but not thinking much of it. Because brush fires happen in the wilderness, but they burn out quickly due to lack of fuel. So I imagine Moses is just going about his night as usual. At first he sees it, doesn't think anything of it. But then the longer it continues... The wheels start turning in Moses' head. He starts wondering, why is this bush not being consumed? Why is this bush not being destroyed? And we as the readers understand this full and well because the Bible has told us that in this bush is an angel of the Lord. And in fact, the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself, and we're going to see why in a few minutes. But we've seen God God chose to reveal himself to Moses because he's humble. We also learn something else about the revelations of God. God chooses to reveal himself to Moses because Moses detours. That's the Hebrew word used in this passage. Moses goes out of his way to see this burning bush. His routine was disrupted. His life was disrupted. It was not the normal flow of things. God could have put the burning bush smack dab at the feet of Moses and Moses couldn't have helped but to investigate it. But God doesn't do that. God chooses to put the burning bush far enough away where Moses could see it, but also close enough where Moses would have to go out of his way. And that's what he does. Moses detours to investigate. So I ask myself, in my life, am I so caught up in everything I need to accomplish? Am I so caught up in my to-do list? Am I so caught up in my job? Am I so caught up with this and that that I've left no margin in my life to detour? Because I thought about all those times where I feel that God has revealed himself clearly to me. And a certain pattern was God revealed himself when I did things that broke up my routine. It was the mornings where I woke up and I had a lot to do, a lot to get going on. But I sat down, I opened up my Bible, and I got into my personal worship, and God was faithful to reveal himself to me. It was those nights where I had 100 pages to read for class and five shorter catechism questions to memorize, yet I still went to my community group. And God was faithful to surround me with a community that revealed himself to me. Time after time, God revealed himself when I detoured. It was those times I felt like I cannot and I will not stop what I'm doing, that when I did, God revealed himself. And the reverse of that is also true. It's those mornings when my Bible sat on my table and I just went on without my day. It was those times I silenced those phone calls from friends that I knew needed to speak to someone, but I was too busy. 
God reveals to us in this passage that he is a God who uses detours. See how the story is taking place. Moses goes out of his way and then God calls to him, not the opposite. Verse 4 continues, When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he, being God, said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God gives these directions not because of the chemical compound of the dirt. The dirt is not holy. What makes this piece of land holy is that God is occupying it because God is holy. And in all other scenarios, a sinful human being, Moses, and a holy God would not be able to interact. A holy God and a sinful humanity cannot come together. And this is where the angel of the Lord and the burning bush comes into play. Remember I said that it was really the Lord in the bush? It's actually Jesus Christ, the true deliverer. And it's a beautiful foreshadowing of what's going to come in the future. Because right now, Jesus, through the burning bush, is mediating an interaction between a sinful people and a holy God. He's allowing a holy God to come into the presence of a sinful human and let that being live. And that's what's going to happen in the future. Jesus will come down. The story we celebrated last week. He came down to mediate between a holy God and a sinful people. So God reveals to us that God is holy. And God continues speaking to Moses in verse 6. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. It's easy in the story to get caught up by the extraordinary revelation of a burning bush. It's easy to think, that has no place in my life because God's never spoke to me through fire before, Will. But this story shows us something beautiful. This story shows us that Moses understood who God was when God identified his ancestors. Because that's how God normally reveals himself to this earth. He uses people like you and I, ordinary people, to get his message out there. And especially true for those who are parents and those who work with children or students. God reveals himself when a parent takes their child and says, look at the God who I worship. God reveals himself when a small group leader shows up week after week, time after time, and shows the children who they worship. God reveals himself when someone from the older generation mentors someone from the younger generation and says, look at my life and how faithful God has been time and time again. This is exactly how Moses knew who this God was in the burning bush. When Moses was born, he was sent down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter took him from the river. She needed someone to nurse him, and she gave him back to his mother. I don't know how long that time would have been, but I know that Moses' mother was faithful to tell her son about the stories of God. Moses hid his face from this powerful God because of reverence, because he knew that the God of Abraham was the God who came to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 and saw the situation they were in and sent plagues already to a Pharaoh's house in order to save them. Moses hid his face because he knew the God of Isaac was the God who stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son so that his line could continue. Moses knew that the God of Jacob was the same one that came down and wrestled Jacob and left his hip wounded forever. 
That is why Moses hid his face. That is why he was afraid that he was in the presence of a holy God. Moses understood who this God was for the simple fact that his mom told him so. His mom was faithful in pointing to her God was. And that's a lesson to all of us, that God is a God who uses his people, you and I, to reveal himself. And the conversation continues in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And you can see Moses just sitting there trying to keep it all in, trying to let God finish his sentence before he bursts out with what? God, you have heard, you have seen, you have known that we have sat here in slavery for 400 years and you did nothing. And you understand when the only question on the tip of Moses' tongue is why, God, have you let this happen? Why have you allowed us to be in this suffering? And the quick answer to that is exactly what God is doing in this passage. God is not revealing to Moses why all of this is happening. God never answers that question for Moses. Because God understands that if Moses sees who he is, that the question of why everything happens on this earth will be so overshadowed that it will cease to matter to him. And that's instructive for you and I this morning because God, in many cases, will never answer your why. God, for many of the things that you go through in this life, many of the trials, many of the sufferings, many of the events, he will never answer that why, but he comes to us most importantly and says who he is. God reveals to Moses that he's an active God. He's a God who sees. He's a God who hears. He's a God who knows. He's a God who hears their cries as they cry out. And God doesn't come and say to Moses, "Uh, I heard you here and I saw you there, but, but I missed the rest of it. No, God comes to him and says, even when you didn't believe I was seen, I was watching you. Even when you believed that those cries were in vain, I was hearing you. Even when you believed that I had forgotten you and my presence is long gone from Egypt, it was still there. God reveals that God is a God who hears, sees, and knows. And God doesn't stop there, but God tells them what they've been waiting for for 400 years is coming. God reveals to Moses that he is a deliverer. That after 400 years in slavery, God is raising up Moses to deliver his people. In verse 10, God continues telling Moses his part. God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And you can feel the complete and utter fear now come upon Moses when the light bulb goes off in his head and he realizes what God is calling him to. You can see Moses start to come up with excuses in his head. Hey God, I'm really enjoying this shepherd thing. It's been a good time for 40 years. I think I got another 40 left in me before retirement. You can see that he goes to God saying, God, I don't know if you know this, but both people groups in Egypt hate me. God, I don't know if you know this, but I murdered someone there and that's the last they heard from me. That's all they believe about me. 
And Moses is so focused on who he is that he asks this question, who am I? And we all do this. Moses is not the only one. You and I, because of our fears, our insecurities, our worries, our anxieties, often go to God saying, who am I? Who am I, God, that you truly love me? Who am I, God, that you sent your son to die for me? Who am I, God, to lead a community group? Who am I, God, to mentor a new Christian? Because just like Moses, we're so caught up in who we are that we miss the whole point of this chapter. We miss the fact of the subject of the sentences, what's going on. Look at what God says. He says, I, being God, have come to deliver them. I, God, will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh. Moses missed the fact that this is God saying, I'm going to do this through you. It's who I am that matters in this situation, not who you are. He's saying, I'm the God who is holy. I'm the God who controls the elements. I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who knows. I'm the God who's been faithful for thousands and thousands of years. Why would I not see this through? And God so graciously comes to Moses because he's not getting it, just like we do so often. He comes in verse 12, and God says this to ease Moses' burdens. God says, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And God comes to Moses, and he says, not only am I all of those things, but I am a God who is with you. I am a God who is present. I am a God who is known to you. But Moses has one more ask. In verse 13, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And this is the big moment. This is where our story has been leading up to. This is where God reveals his personal name. His name that will last for generations. His memorial name. And God comes to Moses and he says, Tell the people of Israel that I'm exactly the God they have created in their mind. And we know that's not what God says. That's kind of ludicrous to think about that God is exactly who they want him to be. Because if God was that God, would they have ever spent 400 years in slavery? If God was that God, would they have ever waited so long for a deliverer? But we do this exact same thing. We create in ourselves a God who is to our liking. We read the highlighted pages of our Bible only. But God comes to Moses and he says, this is who I am. This is my personal name. This is my memorial name that is for all generations. God says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And this is kind of confusing, I am. It's the Hebrew form of the infinitive to be verb. God is saying, I am transcendent. I am constant. I am the same God that was at creation. I am the same God presently with you in slavery. I am the same God that will continue far into the future. I am not changed because of your circumstances. I'm not changed because of your thoughts about me. I am not changed because of who who you think I am. I'm not changed by what Pharaoh sits on the throne. I'm not changed by time or by seasons. I am constant. He's saying, I am. And I am also reveals to us one more thing about God, and one that, if I think about it for too long, starts to make my mind hurt. God, by saying, I am, he says, I am all of me, all of the time to you. 
all of my characteristics, all of my attributes. I'm not broken up into different sections. I don't give you part of me on Monday and part of me on Tuesday and part of me on Wednesday. I give you all of who I am every single day. And that's much different than who I am. I'm a peaced human being. I can sometimes speak truthfully to you, but it's without love and it's mean. But then I can show you love and I can forget about the truth. I can show you mercy and forget justice. I can show you justice, but without an inkling of mercy. But God is all things at all times. He's holy. He's always just. He's always merciful. He's always compassionate. He's always caring. And that's what God is revealing to Moses here. That is the simple fact of God absolutely is, is the point of all of this. And that seems vague at first. I know it does. But that's just because of the grandness of all of it. Take for some examples of where God is in the Hebrews' life. God is when the Hebrews are in slavery. God is when the Hebrews were multiplying and strengthening. God is when Moses fled Egypt. God is when Moses is in the wilderness. God is seeing his people. God is hearing his people. God is knowing his people. And God is delivering his people. And the beautiful thing about this passage is that God doesn't stop there. God continues in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God comes to Moses and said, this is my name forever, for all generations. God didn't say, Moses, this is for you. He didn't say, Moses, this is for the Hebrews. No, he comes to us this morning right here and says, this is who I am to you. God is saying, I see you. God is saying, I hear you. God is saying, I know you. And a lot of times it's hard to see that God is. Right? There's circumstances in our life where it seems that God is not, is more capable to be on our tongue than God is. And I've made a list of some of those times where it seems like God is not. But at the beginning of each sentence, I'm going to say God is because I think it's good to hear. God is when your marriage is falling apart. God is when you're caught by the claws of addiction you cannot seem to get out. God is when it seems like you have no idea who the teenager living in your home is and you feel like you've lost all control. God is when your obedience to him means that you miss out on that promotion that you have worked for and deserve at work. God is when the money you've earned at the end of the month does not equal the money you've spent. God is when you feel oppressed, when you've done nothing wrong because of the fallen nature of those around you. God is when the barrenness of your womb is all you can think about and there seems to be no hope at all to ever hold the baby that shares your DNA. God is when a little girl dies in her sleep at far too young of an age. God is when you turn on the news and there's another mass shooting with no possible reason or explanation for it. God is when the gossip around you sends you to the depths of shame in your heart. God is when you're being oppressed purely because of the color of your skin. 
God is when because of your obedience to him and his word, it means you will never feel human intimacy on this earth. God is when your anxiety has not allowed you to sleep this whole week. God is when your longings for a spouse feel like they'll never be realized. God is when you look in the mirror and you feel worthless because you believe the lie that you are not made beautiful in God's image. God is when you're 16 years old and Instagram makes everyone's life seem perfect, yet yours is coming apart at the seams. God is when you're in middle school or high school and you're ostracized at the school you go to purely because you worship your God. God is when your depression makes you unable to get out of bed in the morning. God is when your suffering seems like it's too much. And I know at times it feels like God is not. I know at times it's easy to feel that God has forgotten you, that God has left you. And I know for a fact that the Hebrew people felt that during their 400 years of slavery. I know that they felt forgotten, but I can tell you this morning that God absolutely is. He sees you, he hears you, he knows you. And I can say that with certainty because of who the angel of the Lord was in the bush that day. Because he was the true deliverer who came in the fire, who came and suffered for our deliverance. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, left heaven, took on humanity, put on the frailty that you and I live in. He suffered physically in his bones for us. He, he who knew no sin became sin for you and I. He was willingly oppressed for my sins. He was crushed for my mistakes. He was pierced for my sins. The punishment that brings me peace was put upon his shoulders, and by his wounds I'm delivered. And we look back on what Jesus did on the cross by dying and rising again on the third day, but we also look forward to the day when Jesus will come again. When Jesus comes again, all oppression will cease. When Jesus comes again, all suffering will cease. When Jesus comes again, every hurt that you ever felt will be made whole. When Jesus comes again, every tear will be wiped away and death shall be no more. God in Exodus 3 has come to Moses and likewise to us and he's revealed who he is. And it seems to be divine timing that we end 2017 by focusing on who God is. Because we go into our new year with a full vision of who the God is we truly worship. So I'm going to recap with the eight things that we learned about God. And I know you can't do all of these. I know you can't implement all of these in your life. But I know the Spirit is probably calling you to one of them. So one, God is a God who uses the humble. Are you seeking and striving for humility in your own life? Two, God is a God who uses detours. Are you putting margin in your life where it's okay for you to chase after God? Three, God is holy. Do you worship God purely because he is the holy God? 
4, God is a God who uses his people to reveal who he is. Are you seeking opportunities in your life for you to be the revelation of God to someone else, in your workplace, in your family? Five, God is a God who sees you, God is a God who hears you, and God is a God who knows you. Knowing that, do you confidently take your worries, your fears, your troubles, your anxieties to him because you know he hears them, you know he sees them, and you know he cares about them? Six, God is a deliverer. Do you look back on the cross for your deliverance from sin in this life, and do you look forward to the day when he will return again? Seven, God is a God who uses inadequate people. Do you seek to be used by God this year, knowing your hurts, knowing your habits, knowing your hang-ups, knowing that you are probably not adequate to be used by him, but he is a God who uses you? And lastly, God is a God who is with us. Without fault, without error, God is with us. So will you wake up every morning even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when everything around you tells you he is not with you, will you preach to yourself that he truly is with you? Because God absolutely is. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we come to you now, Lord. We come to you thankful that you're a God who reveals himself, thankful that you are a God who is holy, but You truly want to know your people. Lord, we sit here at the end of 2017 gazing up at your beauty, gazing up at your glory, Lord. Lord, send your spirit down on us now. Reveal where we have faults, God, but reveal how you have chosen to love us. Lord, let us see that you're a God who hears us. Let us see that you're a God who knows us. Let us see that you're a God who has come for our deliverance. Let us live in light of Exodus 3 as we leave from here, Lord. In your holy name I pray, amen.